Chapter Seven of A Problem in Modern Ethics by John Addington Simons. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Chapter Seven Literature Polemical Part One. It can hardly be said that inverted sexuality received a serious and sympathetic treatment until a German jurist named Karl Heinrich Ulrichs began his long warfare against what he considered to be prejudice and ignorance upon a topic of the greatest moment to himself. A native of Hanover, and writing at first under the assumed name of Numa Numantius, he kept pouring out a series of polemical, analytical, theoretical, and apologetical pamphlets between the years 1864 and 1870. The most important of these works is a lengthy and comprehensive essay entitled Memnon, Die Geschlechtsnatur des mannliebenden Urnings, eine naturwissenschaftliche Darstellung, Schleitz, 1868. Memnon may be used as the textbook of its author's theories, but it is also necessary to study earlier and later treatises, Inclusa, Formatrix, Vindex, Ara Spei, Gladius Furens, Incubus, Argonauticus, Prometheus, Araxes, Kritische Pfeile. In order to obtain a complete knowledge of his opinions, and to master the whole mass of information he has brought together. The object of Ulrichs in these miscellaneous writings is twofold. He seeks to establish a theory of sexual inversion upon the basis of natural science, proving that abnormal instincts are inborn and healthy in a considerable percentage of human beings, that they do not owe their origin to bad habits of any kind, to hereditary disease, or to willful depravity that they are incapable in the majority of cases of being extirpated or converted into normal channels, and that the men subject to them are neither physically, intellectually, nor morally inferior to normally constituted individuals. Having demonstrated these points to his own satisfaction, and supported his views with a large induction of instances, and a respectable show of erudition. He proceeds to argue that the present state of the law in many states of Europe is flagrantly unjust to a class of innocent persons, who may indeed be regarded as unfortunate and inconvenient, but who are guilty of nothing which deserves reprobation and punishment. In this second and polemical branch of his exposition, Ulrichs assumes, for his juristic starting point, that each human being is born with natural rights, which legislation ought not to infringe but protect. He does not attempt to confute the utilitarian theory of jurisprudence, 
which regards laws as regulations made by the majority in the supposed interests of society yet a large amount of his reasoning is designed to invalidate utilitarian arguments in favour of repression by showing that no social evil ensues in those countries which have placed abnormal sexuality upon the same footing as the normal and that the toleration of inverted passion threatens no danger to the well-being of nations after this prelude an abstract of ulrich's theory and his pleading may be given deduced from the comparative study of his numerous essays the right key to the solution of the problem is to be found in physiology in that obscure department of natural science which deals with the evolution of sex the embryo as we are now aware contains an undetermined element of sex during the first months of pregnancy this is gradually worked up into male and female organs of procreation and these when the age of puberty arrives are generally accompanied by corresponding male and female appetites that is to say the man in an immense majority of cases desires the woman and the woman desires the man nature so to speak aims at differentiating the undecided fetus into a human being of one or the other sex the propagation of the species being the main object of life still as aristotle puts it and as we observe in many of her operations nature wishes but has not always the power consequently in respect of physical structure there come to light imperfect individuals so-called hermaphrodites whose sexual apparatus is so far undetermined that many a real male has passed a portion of his life under a mistake has worn female clothes and has cohabited by preference with men likewise in respect of spiritual nature there appear males who notwithstanding their marked masculine organization feel from the earliest childhood a sexual proclivity towards men with a corresponding indifference for women in some of these abnormal but natural beings the appetite for men resembles the normal appetite of men for women in others it resembles the normal appetite of women for men that is to say some prefer effeminate males dressed in feminine clothes and addicted to feminine occupations others prefer powerful adults of an ultra-masculine stamp a third class manifest their predilection for healthy young men in the bloom of adolescence between nineteen and twenty the attitude of such persons towards women also varies in genuine cases of inborn sexual inversion a positive horror is felt when the woman has to be carnally known and this horror is of the same sort as that which normal men experience when they think of cohabitation with a male in others the disinclination does not amount to repugnance 
but the abnormal man finds considerable difficulty in stimulating himself to the sexual act with females and derives a very imperfect satisfaction from the same a certain type of man in the last place seems to be indifferent desiring males at one time and females at another in order to gain clearness in his exposition ulrichs has invented names for these several species the so-called hermaphrodite he dismisses with the german designation of zwitter imperfect individuals of this type are not to be considered because it is well known that the male or female organs are never developed in one and the same body it is also as we shall presently discover an essential part of his theory to regard the problem of inversion psychologically the normal man he calls dioning the abnormal man urning among urnings those who prefer effeminate males are christened by the name of manling those who prefer powerful and masculine adults receive the name of weibling the urning who cares for adolescence is styled a zwischenurning men who seem to be indifferently attracted by both sexes he calls uranodioninger a genuine dioning who from lack of women or under the influence of special circumstances consorts with persons of his own sex is denominated uraniaster a genuine urning who has put restraint upon his inborn impulse who has forced himself to cohabit with women or has perhaps contracted marriage is said to be virilisirt a virilized urning these outlandish names though seemingly pedantic and superfluous have their technical value and are necessary to the understanding of ulrichs's system he is dealing exclusively with individuals classified by common parlance as males without distinction Ulrichs believes that he can establish a real natural division between men proper, whom he calls Dioninger, and males of an anomalous sexual development, whom he calls Urninger. Having proceeded so far, he finds the necessity of distinguishing three broad types of the Urning, and of making out the crosses between Urning and Dioning of which he also finds three species it will appear in the sequel that whatever may be thought about his psychological hypothesis the nomenclature he has adopted is useful in discussion and corresponds to well-defined phenomena of which we have abundant information the following table will make his analysis sufficiently plain left column the human male one man or dioning subdivisions uraniaster when he has acquired the tastes of the urning division two urning subdivisions manling weibling zwischenurning virilized urning division three uranodioning division four 
hermaphrodite. Broadly speaking, the male includes two main species, dioning and urning, men with normal and men with abnormal instincts. What then constitutes the distinction between them? How are we justified in regarding them as radically divergent? Ulrichs replies that the phenomenon of sexual inversion is to be explained by physiology, and particularly by the evolution of the embryo. Nature fails to complete her work regularly and in every instance, having succeeded in differentiating a male with full-formed sexual organs from the undecided foetus, she does not always effect the proper differentiation of that portion of the psychical being in which resides the sexual appetite. There remains a female soul in a male body. Anima muliebris virili corpore inclusa is the formula adopted by Ulrichs, and he quotes a passage from the Vestiges of Creation, which suggests that a male is a more advanced product of sexual evolution than the female. The male instinct of sex is a more advanced product than the female instinct. Consequently, men appear whose body has been differentiated as masculine, but whose sexual instinct has not progressed beyond the feminine stage. Ulrichs's own words ought to be cited upon this fundamental part of his hypothesis, since he does not adopt the opinion that the urning is a dioning arrested at a certain point of development but rather that there is an element of uncertainty attending the simultaneous evolution of physical and psychical factors from the indeterminate ground-stuff. Sex, says he, is only an affair of development. Up to a certain stage of embryonic existence, all living mammals are hermaphroditic. A certain number of them advance to the condition of what I call man, Dioning, others to what I call woman, dioningin, a third class become what I call urning, including urningin. It ensues therefrom that between these three sexes there are no primary but only secondary differences, and yet true differences constituting sexual species exist as facts man woman and earning the third being either a male or a female in whom we observe a real and inborn not an acquired or a spurious inversion of appetite are consequently regarded by him as the three main divisions of humanity viewed from the point of view of sex the embryonic ground stuff in the case of each was homologous but while the two former, man and woman, have been normally differentiated, the urning sexual instinct, owing to some imperfection in the process of development, does not correspond to his or her sexual organs. The line of division between the sexes, even in adult life, is a subtle one and the physical structure of men and women yields indubitable signs of their emergence from a common ground-stuff. 
perfect men have rudimentary breasts perfect women carry a rudimentary penis in their clitoris the raffe of the scrotum shows where the aperture common at first to masculine and feminine beings but afterwards only retained in the female vulva was closed up to form a male other anatomical details of the same sort might be adduced but these will suffice to make thinking persons reflect upon the mysterious dubiety of what we call sex that gradual development which ends in normal differentiation goes on very slowly it is only at the age of puberty that a boy distinguishes himself abruptly from a girl by changing his voice and growing hair on parts of the body where it is not usually found in women this being so it is surely not surprising that the sexual appetite should sometimes fail to be normally determined or in other words should be inverted ulrichs maintains that the body of an urning is masculine his soul feminine so far as sex is concerned accordingly though physically unfitted for coition with men he is imperatively drawn towards them by a natural impulse opponents meet him with this objection your position is untenable body and soul constitute one inseparable entity so they do replies ulrichs but the way in which these factors of the person are combined in human beings differs extremely as i can prove by indisputable facts the body of a male is visible to the eyes is mensurable and ponderable is clearly marked in its specific organs but what we call his soul his passions inclinations sensibilities emotional characteristics sexual desires eludes the observation of the senses this second factor like the first existed in the undetermined stages of the fetus and when i find that the soul this element of instinct and emotion and desire existing in a male have been directed in its sexual appetite from earliest boyhood towards persons of the male sex i have the right to qualify it with the attribute of femininity you assume that soul sex is indissolubly connected and inevitably derived from body sex the facts contradict you as i can prove by referring to the veracious autobiographies of earnings and to known phenomena regarding them end of chapter seven part one recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey